Howdy gamers, it's Leighton here from Leighton Night, the podcast that you're currently listening to in case you accidentally stumbled upon this, in which case I am sorry, but just wanted to let you know that there is a video version of this episode that is up on our Patreon for all tiers. So if you want to join us over there, depending on the tier, you can get all sorts of cool benefits. We do mini-sodes every week. We do some fun videos. Uh, you get access to our fan discord and overall it's a really lovely time and we would love to have you there. So without any further ado, here is the audio version of this episode. So if you want to do the video version, you can go to patreon.com slash late night or not it's really whatever floats your boat. Anyway, episode. Boys, what's going on? How are we feeling on this uh, whatever day of the week morning it is? Monday. It's a Monday. Oh, shit. It is. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> I'm great. I'm the only person in my house right now. Rachel's rehearsing for a play. Audrey's in school. And it's my fucking dream scenario to be home alone, especially after kids being home from school for so fucking long. Just to have a house or a place to myself for a small bit of time is like fucking heaven. And you get to spend it doing a podcast. <laughs> well, with my friends, which is even better. In the South, they have fall break. I had no idea. What? Yeah, yeah. Everyone's off for a week right now. My kids are here. The whole town is gone. Everyone goes to Florida. Like, it's this whole new set of cultural, like, routines. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what do you mean fall break when people start talking about it? So, yeah, everybody takes a week off in the fall, which is wonderful. I just wish I knew about it because we had no plans. <laughs> so, now, so now we're just sitting here. You know what? Fuck it. We're going to introduce our guest right away in the show. Oh, I feel so special now. Well, you should. I feel like we've been doing this more often recently, but I want to provide context. So, everybody, this is Late Night with Brian Wecht. Over here, we have Late and Gray. Howdy. That one was Brian Wecht. Yo. Mystery guest. Would you care to introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Tom Cruise. Uh, you've seen me in... <laughs> no, just kidding. My name is Jim Roach. I am a pal, a very good pal of Brian's. Work with NSP and Starbomb, and I'm pumped to be on. Because you said the South. Where are you? Where do you live? I am in Nashville. We recently moved. Yep. Wow. So I am uh, set up in our new house, and it is right now... 82 degrees. It feels like California. Oh, my God. Apparently, this is supposed to thunderstorm in about an hour, which is very how this place operates. You yeah. never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Just weather just all over the map constantly. You never yeah. know. Never know. So who knows what it's going to look like behind me here shortly. I could be running to the basement. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. I remember having fall break as a kid, but it was always sort of lumped in with Thanksgiving, where it would be like a week off. Yeah, well, that makes way more sense, right? To pat it around a holiday. Yeah. I mean, if you got a week off for Halloween, that would be pretty tight. I mean, imagine that as a child. Yeah. That would be dope. And my birthday is right at Halloween, so that would be double dope. That's right. Wait, can I say it? 28th? Look at that. Yeah. Damn. Fuck yeah. Wow. Oh. How does it feel to have a blessed birth date right next to Halloween? What's that been like for you? You know what? It's been great because growing up, my mom would have these like Halloween parties. And so, and my mom is like kind of Martha Stewart. I wouldn't say reincarnate because they're both alive, but <laughs> she would do like haunted houses and she'd have like the bowl of grapes that were eyeballs and like, cause you're all blindfolded. Oh wow. She really went for it. 
Oh, and then spaghetti in a bowl, you know, that was like a brains. It was supposed to be brains. Anyway, yes, it was awesome. Everything was themed, right? Birthdays were always themed. So Brian, what are you going to do all day by yourself? So I have some travel coming up for reasons I can't get into on the show. Mm-hmm. So I have to basically get ready for that. And the big thing, this was going to be my lemon later on, but I'll just talk about it now. Try not to get too excited when I tell you this, because you're going to lose your fucking mind. Okay. It's already lost. Let's do it. I have to reorganize all my files on my work computer. That is hot. It's pretty exciting. You know, once you're in the entertainment industry, it's all breakneck, you know, pace, like red carpet events, that kind of thing. And I can assure you that is true. And so I'm going to spend all day (laughs) at a red carpet, it's a purple carpet gala in my garage, reorganizing files. Wait, real quick, Brian, can I pin this? Yes, please. Purple Carpet Gala in My Garage is a great song title. Great. Okay. We'll keep a list of these because they're going to come up a lot. This is literally 90% of what Jim and I do when we're talking is some (laughs) random phrase someone says, we'll say, that's a good song title for either NSP or our kids band. And we just have this running list of things we'll text or email or just write down. (laughs) I personally am bad at organizing. And so these are spread out over are many conversations on every different platform. Yes. Oh, much like your files right now? Oh, putting it full circle. Okay. Okay, so here's what happened. That's what I do. I got a new computer, a new work computer for the garage. My old desktop was getting old, getting full, a lot like me. And I decided I needed a new computer, but I have no idea how to fucking organize files. And so I do all my audio stuff on this, and it's a mess. It is a fucking mess. And so I asked slash hired our wonderful producer, Jarek. Also, well, I should say the reason that we know Jarek is because of Jim. That's right. Because Jarek was your assistant? Yeah, I hired him, um, gosh, going on two years anniversary already. He was maybe even three. Was it three years ago? I think it's got to be closer to three, right? I feel like I've known him for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, my gosh, that's crazy. Our mutual friend, Jimmy from the album Leaf was like, hey, I hired this kid. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I needed an assistant, very short version, as I was like, hired him at Sight Unseen because I trusted Jimmy. And then once I met him, I realized what a huge mistake I had made. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. He's the best. He's, he's the absolute he's the best. best. So he got involved with the NSP camp, and I'm glad he's able to be working with you guys and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, when, when we were a couple months in on this, I was like, we need someone who knows what they're doing, you know, to like help produce this. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And he does such a great job. Yeah. So anyway, I asked him if I could hire him to come over and like, show me how a professional sets up their workspace and workflow. This is going to get really interesting. So I'm glad everyone's sitting down. I had basically (laughs) one hard drive and then a bunch of externals. Nothing was well organized. And he was like, He made a spreadsheet. He's such a pro at this. And he's like helped a bunch of people set this up. Jim, I'm sure this is all old hat to you. But to me, this was like, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, file management's key. Oh my God. And so he's like, okay, you need your sample drive. You need your work drives. You need your archives. You need your time machine. You need your, you know, and I was like, I need seven hard drives. And he was like, oh yeah, absolutely. At least, (laughs) yeah. So he came over, we set up all this stuff. And now what I need to do is archive all the old stuff. And this is now five or six years of NSP and random shit. Half of this, I'm just going to end up deleting because it's not interesting, but I need to go through all these files and put them in an archivable form that then I can just set aside and never worry about. 
again. Because if I just dump everything, my temptation, of course, is just to dump everything on the drive and then forget it. But that is a great way to fuck future me over. Yes. Yeah. Hard. Like a hard one. No, it's very important to get all that stuff in order because it makes your life so much easier when it's like, hey, we need this uh, vocal file from four years ago. Uh, do you know where? And it's like, yep, I got it all. Right. It's all right here, you know? And this happens like all the time, right? Happens enough to where it's important. Right. How did you learn that? So you've been doing this for, what, 20 plus years now? Yeah, more or less. You talking about file management? Yeah. Did you learn it from someone or did you just kind of invent your own system? When people think, again, about record producers, you think about the glamorous stuff, you know, working with the fun artists and all this stuff. And what you probably don't think about if you're not in it is one of the most important things, which is workflow and file management. Absolutely. Early on, Brian, I was terrible, like really terrible. And it took a couple like oopsies in the like mid 2000s. That's what we call them in the business. Yeah. Yeah. It's an official term. Uh, they teach you that at producer school. It was an oopsie and I lost files that were like, oh, we need these. And I'm like, I think I deleted that whole session thinking, why would I need this again? We're done doing it. You know, that kind of stuff. And then long story short, just by asking one of my close friends, Eric Palmquist, who Brian knows well, he's another producer friend of ours. He's very meticulous. And I historically was much less meticulous when it came to those types of details. And he shared his system with me. And then I kind of carried that off into my own world. And it's not rocket science. You just got to get your own kind of way to do it. And it's definitely the kind of thing where it's like a stitch in time saves nine, right? Where yep. if you do the work now, this is literally what I'm dealing with. If I had done the work years ago to set this up right, I wouldn't be doing this right now. It would have been a little bit of incremental work every time exactly. and not what's probably going to be like a full day of going through files and figuring out how to organize and all this shit. Yeah. Well, I can't believe we're going to spend 20 minutes talking about file management, <laughs> which is probably the part that everyone wants to hear the least about. I guarantee. <laughs> so then I have the work computer and then I have my personal laptop. So what do you do? for like the shit on your laptop versus the shit on your work computer. All right, so here's a behind the curtain secret. Nothing exists on any of my systems. It's all on hard drives, everything. That's so smart. So like when we worked recently, Brian, together for a few days, actually, I think I brought my actual studio computer for that one, but point is, is like, I don't have anything on my computers. It's either in a Dropbox folder, a box folder, or a hard drive. Oh, that's so smart. What hard drives do you use? Do you have a preference? You know, I don't. Lacey's so far have been the most reliable. So that's kind of what I do. I don't know why. I just stayed with it. And G-Raids. Jarek saw a drive I was using as a backup, which is neither of those brands. And I'm not going to say which one, what, which it is. And he was like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? You're using that garbage? <laughs> Come on. Does it start with an S? It does. Yes. I know exactly which one you're talking about because I've had major problems. Which one are you talking about? It's salamander. Yeah. Let's just say if there was a a gate that opened into the sea, mm -hmm. this type of hard drive would be named after that. Yeah. A gate <laughs> into the capital letter C, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, everything's separate. Everything's mobile. Everything's in the cloud, depending on the size. And I, you know, I have a lot of records backed up now because you can keep them off your drive but still have them synced. Anyway, it's yeah. lame, but it's just part of doing business. The thing Jarek told me, this is literally something he learned in school because he went to school for this. Right. And the mantra he told me was, if it doesn't exist in three places, it doesn't exist. Mm. Yeah. Which I think is a great way of thinking about it. And the question I asked him was, do you physically separate your backups 
let's say in my case, in case the garage explodes, right. like, do you have a copy of stuff elsewhere? And he said he doesn't, but I'm sure people do. Yeah. Definitely just start digging in your backyard. Just plop them down there. Fun time capsule. Yeah. Doomsday. It is another <laughs> level, though, if you think about it. Doomsday hard drive. Doomsday hard drive. Yeah. That sounds like a band name more than anything. That is a dope band name for sure. It's Math Rock. That's got to be Math Rock, right? Doomsday time. What was it? I forgot it already. Doomsday hard drive. <laughs> yeah, Doomsday hard drive. Doomsday hard drive. Imagine the day when all your hard drives get lost. What do you do with that? <laughs> now, I know we've only been talking about file management for 10 minutes, but I do feel like we should move on. Oh, it's only been a hot 20 minutes of file management. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> TLDR, everyone at home, next time that you go to control S, then key smash, save to desktop, maybe don't do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I'm excited to have this workspace like set up. And I finally like, this is the thing I'm most excited about actually. It's not the workflow, but finally getting good samples in a place where I can store them because I didn't have enough space on my drive. So now I can get all these dope samples. Like since we did this a couple of days ago, I've just been going through and listening to all these instruments that I never had access to yeah. before. It's so fun. That must be a huge difference for you. Since you started doing this, the quality of these instruments is just gone through the roof, right? It really has. As you know, Brian, I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to recording things and I don't like the fancy tricks and I, I, I feel like that makes me sound old. And I don't like a lot of the new technologies that allow people to just drag and drop songs together, which I think it has its utility. I think it's good for a lot of things. I just can't get on board, obviously. However, the quality of the samples and companies like Splice came out and I was just very anti at the beginning. And then once I started like going through them, I was just like, wow, everything from soft synths, all these sampled instruments you can get now, pianos, you know, every variation of a keyboard, every variation of a synth. It's really hard to just not use those because of the yeah. ease of use within the workflow of a day. Like if you and I are working, Brian, and we want to pull up some synths, like I have since, right? We can go to the Moogs, we can go to the Juno, we can go to, you know, any of these other ones. Yeah. But it sounds stupid. You got to plug it in. <laughs> you got to like run <laughs> cables. You got to like find the patch you like. You got to like play the part in that patch. Whereas if you have, you know, these great, uh, name a few, Arturia makes some really good ones. The Arturia ones are pretty fucking great. They're really cool and, and they're really reasonably priced. And so you can have all these amazing iconic synths sitting on your computer. And so anyway, yeah, nowadays, as you know, Brian, a lot of the things I use, I reach for every day are samples. Unless we're doing the proper actual recording, then I actually really like to reach for the real things because there is an X factor there. And it's also a process thing, right? We're going to get to something different in a song by using actual hardware than we are by using a synth. It doesn't make it necessarily better or worse, but you and I could start messing around with you know, the oscillators or start messing around with the pitch knob. And we're going to land on something different because of the process that we were using our hands and we were actually using a piece of equipment. Right. And that could inform cooler, bigger decisions. Whereas the other one's more convenient. You can scroll through sounds quicker. Like they all have their utility. But to answer your question, it is a pretty great time to be able to make music because it's like you have a million great things at your fingertips for way less than what you would pay to get all the actual pieces of gear. Oh, yeah. I've said all the time when, you know, people ask us this, without that, NSP literally would not exist. You know, I was writing this right. shit on a laptop in my room, you know, using at first very early on GarageBand, but then Logic. 
and just using their built-in sounds and with a couple others here and there. But those early NSP albums, especially the second and third, without those synths, we couldn't do what we did. It just wouldn't have happened. Right. To my earlier point, the sound that you were created with what you had at your fingertips, that ultimately became the sound of the band. Totally. You know, and we, we still reach for a lot of those same old synths that you use, you know, logic yeah. synths that are like, well, if we want this to really sound like Ninja Sex Party, let's get the Dominator. Oh, the Dominator. It just it dominates the <laughs> entire spectrum. Yeah, there's a synth I really loved and continue to love on Logic. It's a legacy now, so you have to like go back to the old version. But they have all their legacy sounds. And yes, it's called the Dominator. It feels like it's just flat across every range in the EQ. And it made every Ninja Sex Party song I used it on, which was most, I'm sure impossible to mix. Impossible. Because it just <laughs> destroys everything in its sight. And it's so fat and thick. It's kind of like a synth brassy, like a Van Halen-y kind of sound. Yeah. But it was just so great. And then when we were going back, and especially with this new album, Level Up, looking at some of those old synths, I have all the original Logic sessions. I'd bounce them to you. You were like, dude, this Dominator is killing me <laughs> because it's just eating everything. It's literally like, imagine, you know, very carefully putting in like, synth parts that are either actual synths or thought out nice articulated sounds like some will take a top you know mid spectrum some will be low and then brian sends me this dominator track and these are like little toy cars and then in comes this like nine hundred thousand pound bulldozer that just goes pushes <laughs> all of it out and it's like no the dominator's here now like forget everything else you did i'm like dude if, if we're gonna use it i have to scrap nearly everything almost including the vocals right. for this to work <laughs> and what I would often do on early NSP stuff is sometimes I would take that Dominator part and put another synth brass patch on top of it. <laughs> so it wasn't just the Dominator. There was another one, the various brassy synths that I loved. And sometimes they were literally just playing the same thing because I liked how the overlap right. sounded. More often than not, they were slightly different, but it was like insane synth overload. And I'm sure those synth brass, that's not like a delicate patch either like those are pretty big generally they're aggressive but they have their space like there's something about the way that that dominator is created <laughs> and the compression that's attached to it when you bounce it or something i don't know what it is but like a really well recorded or, or from a good synth like a good brass patch it does eat up a lot of space but it also leaves room for other things to play the dominator does not like to play hell yeah it doesn't that's right <laughs> just like me I think I know exactly which sound you're talking about, but for listeners, could you point to moments or parts of NSP songs that use it heavily? I think it's an Attitude City. Unicorn Wizard. Unicorn Wizard. Road Trip, probably. Okay, so I should tell everybody, this episode is coming out the day the Level Up album comes out. No, no, when it comes. Yes, when it comes. Sentence ends there. And sentence ends. When we're recording this, we've released one of the singles, and so people have seen the track list, but they haven't heard the rest. So it was very interesting to me to see, and we totally set ourselves up for this. I knew exactly what was coming when people heard the new 6969. <laughs> uh, people heard the new 6969. And this, like, to me, it is just night and day. There's like the original, which, yes, I like. But when we re-recorded it with Torp, they're like, fucking crush it. Oh, my God. Like, I was almost in tears watching them play it. And yet there are still a bunch of people, this is by far not the majority reaction, but there are a bunch of people who are like, yeah, the old one sounded better. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. what? 
How? Well, the, you have to remember it's nostalgic and it's what they right. know. It's yeah. like when the Ford Bronco released the new version of the classic Ford Bronco, I was like, well, that's a terrible example because it's a far worse design. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you know, you just have this attachment to think. I get it. I do get yeah. it too. Yeah. I think if it was flipped and you're like, hey, we re-recorded these on a laptop, then you'd really see that, that contrast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But dude, since it's the day that it comes out, I think we should dig into a little history of that because we got in the studio a long, long time ago. Yeah, that was... A year and change. It was August... 2020. So it was yeah. in the thick of COVID and we we went through all these health protocols to make sure we could all get in the studio together and we recorded most of it at Sunset Sound, which is that legendary studio in Hollywood where... Yep. So many classic records, Van Halen, Led Zeppelin, Purple Rain, Purple Rain, the first Doors record. I mean, those walls have seen it all. Yeah. And um, well, I think we did three days, right? Was it three full days of basic, basic tracking? And then it was like we were all ghosts in the night because there was this disease rampantly spreading around the country. And so we basically did it kind of remotely from there, right? Like I'd work on the production. You'd send me synths and Danny sent me his vocals. Yeah, exactly. And then I don't think Twerp had to do any more retracking. No, they were done in three days, which is a testament to how good they are. <laughs> oh, it just crushed it. I got together with that. Did you get together with them and me too beforehand to run through stuff? I feel like we did at least one rehearsal, right? Maybe two? We did it outside. <laughs> I remember right. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was quick, but they generally just hear the demos. This is different because there weren't demos. They knew the songs because they'd been playing them live forever. Yeah. Well, the prehistory of that, too, is we were going to start on the new original album earlier in the year. And then when we realized the whole songwriting process of being in the same place was going to get completely fucked, we were like, okay, what can we do if we want to have an album out next year? And we'd long had this idea of re-recording old songs. And we were like, okay, this is the time to do it because we don't need to write anything else new. The pre-production is going to be the hardest part. Like we need to rearrange where necessary. So Danny and I had decided on a track list and then we all did the pre-production stuff. We were very lucky that we had this like kind of low-hanging fruit of an album we wanted to do just like sitting there where we could be like, okay, let's do it. This is the time. Right. And to give context for doing the original music, at least the way our workflow has gone as a team for the last few years is it takes a solid two days to finish a song. Yep. And so then you're looking at 12 songs, you're looking at, it's a lot of time together, which thankfully we enjoy being in the same room together. But because of the way that the year went, it was like, how on earth are we going to do that? Yep. And especially early days of COVID, like it was the Wild West. Like you didn't know what was safe and what we could do. And it was hard to get tests for a while. And, you know, by August, things had kind of stabilized a little bit. I mean, we didn't have any problem getting tests or anything like that. We even had the engineer at Sunset tested, which... Which I was like, this poor guy's going to like hate us. But he was great about it. He's like, no, I'll do it. He was great. Shout out to Clint. Well, anyway, that was it for the prehistory. That's why we decided to do this album. Because A, it was not like we didn't want to do it. We wanted to do this. And then it seemed like, okay, well, this is the chance because we're not going to get an original. So let's do it. And then, yeah, so three days of tracking and then a lot of trading files for many, many months. Yep. I mean, it was great, but it's not the most fun way to make a record. (laughs) No, for sure. 
It was very interesting, too. So we did kind of pick and choose from the originals because I had all the original synths. Like, what are we going to import from that original sound that we really like? So I remember for Party of Three, there was just something about my electric piano pass on that that we couldn't duplicate in, yep. you know, in the re-record. And we redid it, and it just didn't have the same vibe. And so that main electric piano part that drives Party of Three is the original take of it. Yes. And that's all digital, right? I'm sure you worked your magic on it. I probably did a little bit. And that's a testament too to like if anybody that's listening and Leighton, it sounds like you might do music because you knew of Arturia, which is kind of a random thing to know about. <laughs> I do a little bit of it, yeah. So you'll get this, like if you're working on a song and you've got this like kind of crappy sound up that you're like, oh, I'm just going to get the idea down and it works. Don't ever feel like you have to go back and replace it because you and I, Brian, especially in the beginning, you'd be like, here's all my original files, but this is kind of a crappy part or a crappy sound or whatever. And a lot of times it's like, no, 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 this is great. It's probably just crappy to you because you feel like it should be because you did it on your laptop. But in actuality, trying to recreate that magic you did the first time is almost always, and we've talked about this, Brian, a lot over the years, it's like, it's really hard to recreate that. And so I can't tell you how many of even Danny's vocals, I was just like, he'd come in to sing again after we did the demo. And I'm like, nope, we have to use the demo because you just weren't thinking about it and you were in it. We were all laughing. One of the examples that we, uh, of that exact thing was uh, Wondering Tonight yeah. off of the last album. That is a complete one taker that he sang standing up with the speakers blaring behind me as a demo. Right. And we tried to re-sing it and it just lost all of its mojo. Like I was like, this is not working. And he's like, really? You think we could use it? I'm like, why not? It's the same mic. It's the same preamp. We did that with the piano too on that song. Yes. We went to PalmQuest. There was something about that original pass digitally that we went and I played on the big grand and the upright in that studio. And I was like, okay, here's a better piano. And I actually practiced it at that point. I forgot about that. We retracked that entire piano part and it just didn't work. Nope. Compared to that first demo. Because you just sat down and you just played it the first time, you know, give or take a couple punch-ins, but it was just like, well, this sounds great. Why are we worried about replacing it? But we did go down the rabbit hole of, well, we should replace it. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times it does get better and we did our due diligence, but in that case it was like, yeah. We're not going to beat the vocal or the piano. And those are like basically, you know, quasi first takes of everything, which I love those things. Also with that song, that song is supposed to be raw. Yes. Right. So I think that's exactly what was happening with the demo for both of those was just, it was raw and it just worked better for the vibe of that song. I've learned that inherently just by doing this for so long. And then I remember I was sitting just as a pretext and Brian knows this, but I worked a lot with Joshua Hami from Queens of the Stone Age from like 2015 to 2016. And we were chatting at his studio and I was like, when do you guys kind of demo up these songs and stuff? And he's like, in his very stoic kind of tough guy, he was like, I don't do demos. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. He's like, I don't think of them as demos. I just start recording because most of the time I'm gonna keep, and I'm like, you're gonna keep the first take, right? Of course, why did yeah, I ask yeah. the question? Because that's exactly, what it is. And I remember thinking like, yeah, well, I don't do demos is a great way to put it. So now I'm ready at any time that we're working. Yeah, that could be it. Ready to keep it. And Bono, for the record, when they're doing U2 vocals, he's standing in the control room with this monitors blaring on an SM58 that you sing at a bar with. Is he really? Yep. He sings on an SM58? Yep. Listen to a U2 vocal sometime and go, 
that actually doesn't sound very good. <laughs> but when you yeah. sing like Bono, it doesn't matter at all. Like, so it's, it's really the cook, you know, it's never the kitchen. So he sings on like a $60 mic or whatever those things cost. Uh, 98 at Guitar okay. Center, Brian. Okay, thank you. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we should get sponsored by Guitar Center, I think. I think that would be a good combo. Guitar Center, please. Well, we especially since I get 12 emails from them a day. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hot new Memorial Day sale at Guitar Center. <laughs> Level up your tone. Amps, keyboards, <laughs> guitars. I like it when they do like the Rigs of Dad style pun. Where yes. they're like, things are really happening in tone nation. Yeah. And you're like, in tone nation? Come on. Ride your tone pony down to the nearest guitar center. It is the most like corporate dad rock bullshit. And it's so funny. Leighton, I want to hear about what you're doing musically. I don't think I knew this about you. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I dabble. You dabble? I dabble in some Ableton. I like weird synths and I don't know like any music theory. I like sort of play bass. Yeah. So I've just like only started my musical journey in the past year, two years, maybe. That's awesome. Do you slap at the bass? <laughs> no, not yet. I wish. <laughs> uh, but it helps being friends with lots of talented musicians who know way more than I do. So that always helps. But I think also the great thing about that is for you, you are 100% vibe right now, which is yes. not a bad thing in any sense. Like a lot of really wonderful songs get written by people who don't know shit about music theory and just go on feel. And they're like, I like this sound and I like the way these notes go together and it just works. Yep. I went to school for a long time. So my prejudice was if you don't understand why it works, that's not good. And that's just bullshit. It's just not true. So much great stuff is written by people without the training or the background or whatever. It's, it's all bullshit. All that matters is if it's good. Look at Oasis. I promise you they don't know theory. Yeah. <laughs> and they kick ass. Yeah. Crafting a vibe and also sort of this intangible thing that you guys are talking about with like the demo stuff just clicking really well. Like there is such this sort of like ethereal quality that you're chasing after that like it's about the vibe. It's all about the vibe. That's why our Patreon thing that we've done a couple of episodes of is called Vibe Sommelier. Yep. Where Brian and I just tried to make like dinky little tracks according to a vibe. We haven't done that in so long. <laughs> We haven't done it in a long time. Well, we also started a few things and then I never kind of put in the next step of like mixing them or tuning them up. So we just slapped some stuff together and then that's all I did with it. We did like a David Lynch nut button one. <laughs> yes, that's right. It was like a Twin Peaks thing. Yeah. It was based off of a meme that was like David Lynch and then the nut button meme that says, oh, Angelo. Yeah. And then we made. <laughs> that's really funny. Well, Twin Peaks type beat. I think we did three of them. Two were like salvageable and kind of good. One I think was pretty dire and should not see the light of day. It's on the Patreon if people want to hear it. But yeah, I remember a couple of those being like, okay, that's cool. And then one going back to listen to it and be like, uh, uh, no, not going to happen. I don't think we were like really putting too much effort in. I think that's just us sitting around. Yeah, well, we did it in 40 minutes online. But yeah, you're right. It's the vibe that people connect to. I mean, I shouldn't say that exclusively. Obviously, the song is the king, but... I mean, if you've got a thing like that works and it doesn't have to be complicated, as evident by a million artists, like yeah. do that by all means, because if it works, it works. Tell me if this is right. That's part of the challenge of producing, right, is figuring out what works and what is changeable to make something else that might work slightly differently. 
And I assume it's just this constant process of figuring out what to keep and what to extend. Yeah, there's a great example of that. There's a band out of Phoenix I've been working with, and I finally told them that they don't need me. I worked a bunch with them, really incredibly talented guys. And then the stuff that they were churning out on their own fit the genre so well. It's kind of this garage rock, but I don't mean that to sound really like incompetently recorded, but they're very talented at recording themselves. And they kept sending me demos going, we're going to get in the studio. I'm like, this sounds amazing. You don't need me. And so I think that's part of producing it a lot of times is not, you don't need me, but say, I'm going to get out of your way. Right. And I'll be here to keep you in the lines a bit. Or sometimes you have an artist where you're like, okay, we got to undo everything. Right. (laughs) And that's not a bad thing. That's a fun thing a lot of times, you know, but like with certain things, it's like, you know, come in, like, I I just don't think this is, you know, good. It's a demo. And you're like, what's not good about it? That's the only reason that I'm sitting here with you is because I was so compelled by that, that like, we have to keep most of that. And then I'll help you build around it, you know, hopefully, and then make it better. But I'm not going to take something that's really great, even though it might not be technically perfect, and then try to recreate something that was compelling in the first place. So that's really a part of the job that you just have to rely on your intuition for, you know? And I've been wrong for sure. You go, okay, well, at the end of the day, I think we did record something that I thought should be better because it was newer and well-recorded and now it actually sucks. So we have to go back and it happens all the time, obviously. But if you can figure out that kind of intuition part of going like, okay, what's working, what's responding just stay out of the way of that. And what can I bring to this? That's kind of where the line is. Well, I imagine also sometimes it's, okay, you need a producer, but that isn't me for you. That's maybe my friend over here who I know can bring this other thing to the table that I can't, right? So I imagine there's a lot of, all right, meet this person. You're going to work with them because that's a better fit. Yeah. I've done a lot of songwriting sessions as a songwriter on a publishing company that You know, they put you in the room with all these different people. And a lot of times you click and you just write some great stuff and you become great friends. And I have many, many accounts of that. And sometimes you're like, wow, this guy's really good. Even I like him a lot. But I'm not a huge pop, pop producer like the Kiss FM. Yeah. I don't like the music. (laughs) I just don't. I don't care for it. I don't get excited about it. And so if I write with an artist, we'll write a great song that ultimately should be produced like a pop song and I would probably produce it a different way, I'll say, you know what? I am not the guy to continue this. And I am totally fine with that because me trying to shit a watermelon, like creating a super slick pop track, like nobody's having fun, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, then I, you know, refer them to Palmquist as one of my good friends. And that's actually a good example. There's a band called Night Riots, the awesome band and me and Eric Palmquist, Eric produces a lot of their stuff and we wrote a song with them. He invited me up to write and we wrote an awesome song. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm hearing the production in my head as we're writing it and we're all just sitting in this room and I'm like, okay. And Eric's kind of doing the basic recording and Eric, you know, he's literally was in my wedding. So we're like really close, um, like 15, 16 years ago. So that's how far we go back. And he's like, hey, so how are you hearing this be produced? I'm like, oh, this is your, this is your show, man. Just I was just there to write. And so then when I got the song back, it was so different from what I was hearing. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. But I could not have done that. Like, it was really poppy. It was a mid-tempo kind of emotional-ish, cool, emo song. And I'm hearing it be very cinematic. And the way he did it was just so different. And I'm like, man, I could not have done that. I would not have done that. But this sounds awesome. 
That's fascinating. Another thing I remember you telling me that was so interesting is that you view your job sometimes as a psychologist yeah. more than anything else. Just like getting in people's heads to get the best performance yeah. out of them, which has nothing to do with working a board or knowing which compressor to use or whatever. It's just yeah. like, what can you say to an artist to like bring out the part of them that needs to come out for a song? I would imagine it's especially true with vocalists, but really true for anybody. Oh, singers. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it is true, Brian. I like people. And so I think that's what drew me to the job specifically. But I always say it's like 20% knowing how to work a song or knowing how to like what your equipment does. But it's literally 80% psychologist. Because if somebody's in their head and like they're in a bad mood in the studio, like we've all been in the room when things are not in a happy vibe. And it really is very counterproductive to the time being paid for and spent and all of us are put being there. So being able to hopefully turn it around in a way that they don't know is being turned around and that's the key. A lot of times it's like, hey, let's take a break, let's go outside or like, hey, have you eaten? Let's get some food. And there's nothing that will change. It's just like a quick reset. It's just to get somebody out of their own head. And sometimes it's pushing them in a very uncomfortable way that that's the answer depending on the type of person they are. It's like, come on, you're not singing very well. And I know you sing better than this. And there's a lot of people I would never do this to. Um, but come on, I want to go home, sing it. Like just fucking sing it. Like stop worrying about it. Yeah. Typically those people were athletes. Mm -hmm. Like I work with this kid, Jake Austin Walker, a ton. He's an amazing talent. He's one of those guys like Jake, you sing like a bird normally. Right now, you sound like a bird on its like deathbed. <laughs> Please just sing this. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and then he sings it. And it's like, okay, thank you. You just got to know how they're feeling, know how to kind of try to turn that around. And a lot of times it's just calling it a day. Yeah. Something's going on in your personal life. They're not getting out of that unless they go home and get some rest and like come back. Yeah. And it's like, I got plenty of work to do. You go home. I'll stay here and work on my solo record. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a skill for a lot of creative pursuits of knowing when to be like, all right, it's not happening right now. Whether it's like writing, drawing, whatever the hell else, like being able to say like, I can sit here for three hours and try to force it and be in a terrible mood and get nothing and then feel like shit about myself and feel like shit about this project. Or I can just know like, okay, it's not happening. Yeah. I'll come back. I saw, I, I can't remember who it was. I wish I could. Someone on Twitter saying that their mentor who I think this was a writer, but I think it kind of applies. Their writing mentor said, here's the deal. You get two good hours in the morning and a couple more in the afternoon, and then everything else is garbage that you're going to fix in the morning. So mm -hmm. like use those hours wisely. And the most important part was, and then go easy on yourself for the rest of the time. You don't mm. need to be producing masterpieces for nine hours a day. It's impossible. You just don't have the bandwidth to do it. When you imagine sitting down to write, I think every writer's ideal is like, I'm going to sit for eight hours and my fingers are never going to stop moving and it's going to be constantly generative and it's all going to be great. And that's not how it is. You get maybe like one of those days every couple of days where you just like shit it out. Yep. And then the rest of the time you sit there and you edit, you string things together, you stare at the little blinking cursor while it torments you. Like all of those are still writing. Like going for a walk and thinking about it, that's still writing. Like you have to expand what you see as productive because all of those little things are so important to the whole of it. Yep. 
Yeah. Anyway, writing's hard. I hate it. No, you're right. I found for myself, Leighton, like you really nailed, and I've sadly only realized this about myself in the last like three years, is if I'm getting up, doing life, going to the studio, be creative, it's very hard. And so what I've found is you need those like downtimes. For myself, I need to be literally not doing anything. I almost just need to sit and like kind of stare off mm-hmm. or walk around mm-hmm. the studio and put cables away. But that's the time where your brain is like, is kind of cleaning or besides sleep, obviously. But like for me, that's where you kind of just take the filter off. And then all of a sudden something will go, will hit you. It's a way of organizing yourself in a way that's very helpful if you're creative. Because if you just try to go yeah, like you know, I'm a grown man with a house. Like I need to go to work and be creative today and I need to get this done. Blah, blah, blah. And like, sadly, it just doesn't, you're right. It doesn't work that way. And you have to figure out how that works for you in the most productive way or you're going to sink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, David Lynch goes on about catching the big fish. And I've always like thought that was very charming, maybe like not accurate to the way that I think about things. But the more that I make stuff, the more I'm like, you're waiting for it to come to you. Like I get really frustrated myself when I do things where like, I'll spend a lot of time outlining or researching or whatever. And all day, it's like, I maybe wrote like four sentences, but you're cataloging shit. Mm -hmm. And the next day you're like in the shower and you're like, oh, all of those things just came together and I get it. Yeah. It will like rise out of the mist and be like, here's your idea. Yeah. You got it. It was already there. And I will see that idea and raise it to clarity, at least to put a point on it, is you have to show up to the lake every day. Yes. Yeah. You can't just say, oh, it'll come to me. In my world, it would be, I have to sit down at the piano and then you're going to probably not catch a fish nine out of 10 times. But the one time that idea comes, it's worth it all, right? But if you just say, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to show up or you're not going to sit in front of your keyboard, like that's a different thing. That's just, you're just not doing anything, right? But you do have to show up for the thing to happen. The thing that's so frustrating to me from a writing perspective is the compositional idea can work great, but it doesn't work like with the particular instrument or synth or whatever that you're using. And it is so frustrating that you can be like, this is a good song, but I'm not executing it in the right way. Yes. All the pieces are in place, but I just haven't dialed them in the right way. You know, it's the same thing with any creative endeavor. You have something in your mind, which is sort of like the thing you want. And then when you make it real, when you bring it out into the world, it's never like the thing that you thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But it gets closer and closer and you're readjusting expectations and everything. Or you find the thing, usually by accident for me, where it's like, oh, I didn't mean to do that, but that's it. 100%. Yeah. Oh, I love those. Those are the best. The best. And it feels so unfair to me that it's like, okay, the notes are correct. Like literally all the notes I played are right, but <laughs> it doesn't work. Why the fuck doesn't it work? That's when artist brain for me takes over and it's like, all right, I can't intellectualize this more. I just have to like feel it out. I will do a thing when I'm writing where I'm just scrolling through patches and being like, okay, does that work? Nope. Does that work? Nope. Does that work? I hate that. Well, then the really fucked up thing happens, of course, is when you think something works, but really it's just because it's better than the other stuff, but it doesn't quite work. And then you come back to it the next day and you're like, oh, fuck. I thought I had it and now it sucks. Now that I don't hear it as just better than the other things, it's still not good. So, ah. And there's nothing better though, is when you figure it out, when you crack it and all of a sudden it all comes together in the arrangement or whatever. And I've learned my litmus 
for when it's right is I, I stand up. At this, I, I like, I'm in the studio and I just go, start going like this. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> and I don't even mean to, but I go, man, I, this feels good. And that's where I always have to go. And I hit file management. I create a copy of that session. Yep. Yep. And it's like, feel good one. Because I knew the way this was mm-hmm. sounding was right. That's such a good feeling. For me, it's always, if I can remember the melody the next morning. Mm. Yes. Like, if it's still stuck in my head, you know, you walk out of the studio or whatever your writing thing. And of course, you remember it 30 seconds later or whatever. If it's still going through my head the next morning, then I'm like, I feel like I was onto something yeah. there. Because it didn't get washed away with yeah. all the other stuff. Like, not to get too serious, but like... We can get serious. Where was your kind of like brain, Brian, when you wrote Butt Sex Goldilocks? Oh, yeah, that was, well, that was to honor my parents' memories. <laughs> they died in 2004 and 2006, and of course, we wrote that song in uh, 2015, and I was like, it's about time I really had something that they would look at and be proud of. <laughs> You know, grief isn't linear. That's right. It ebbs and it flows. And What do I wish I had performed at their funeral? And that's where <laughs> Butt Sex Goldilocks came from. <laughs> I came up with that song title and I called Dan. I was like, dude, I have an amazing idea for a song. And he was like, absolutely not. <laughs> I've heard that interaction before. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> that's our default. Uh, dude, check out this idea. I, I had this incredible idea. Nope. We can't do that. I was like fully convinced. I remember having that idea. It just, you know, divine inspiration. Butt sex, Goldilocks. Oh my God, this butt sex is too hot. This butt sex, butt sex is too cold. This butt sex is just right. I was like, that's it. That's the idea. I got it. I got it. And I called him and he's like, that's not a song. That's like a, a skit. And you're like, hold my beer. Yeah. And so, and he's, to be fair, we did a skit. And I like that skit a lot. And it probably would have been a bad song. So here's another thing we can talk about, which is a whole other thing, which is the comedy side of writing songs. So, Jim, you have a lot of comedy experience, too. Yeah. And that's part of why we first got introduced is... That's right. Yeah. Our our friend Ben Hubbard at CD Baby was like, oh, I know this guy who's been doing a bunch of comedy stuff with Amy Schumer and, and other people. I think you guys would get along great. Like, just, you know, go hang out. Yeah. And it's a whole other thing to write a comedy song than it is to write a song. We say this all the time, as we did recently when we worked on ISP. It was like, we could fucking write five songs a day if we wanted to, but they wouldn't be funny. Yes. And making it funny is really hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's so fun, though. There's a comic named Kyle Dunnigan who's a dear friend and we've worked on music together for years. And we had done a comedy album based on one of his characters, Craig. And that was my first foray. And he's like a great comic, a great stand-up comic. So I learned so much from him in writing those songs. And I've always loved comedy. It would be my second thing, I think, if I wasn't doing music is maybe writing for it. However, through Kyle, he's one of the head writers for Inside Amy Schumer when that show was on. And so Amy and Kyle wanted me to write and produce this comedy song. And I was like, well, I haven't really done that. So this is a big kind of step up. And so it ended up going really well. Quick funny story behind it is it was a boy band spoof song called Girl You Don't Need Makeup. And I can sing fine, but I don't like my voice. You know, there's a whole ton of issues that can be undone in therapy at some point, but I don't like, (laughs) I don't like singing. And 
So I did all these boy band voices for this song as the demo. So then I'd send it to Kyle and Amy and I would get notes from the writing staff. And then they basically sent me nine pages of jokes in rhyming form. And I'm like, okay, you guys realize we've got to get this to like half a page, right? And it was like, <laughs> it was just killing all these amazing jokes. But through that process, really learning how those tick, right? You know, and obviously I love big hooky songs. So trying to bring that to the table as well. So you're trying to check all these really difficult boxes to check. And it helped to have a writing staff of professional comics, you know, for that song specifically. But I remember when you guys reached out and I was, I think it was at Apple. You were at Apple at the time, yeah. And I was really busy. And I remember just being like, I would love to work with you guys, but I just, I can't. I have too much going on. And if that ever ends, I'll find you. This is actually a funny story. I don't even know if you know this, Brian, but I was trying to email an old friend of mine named Brent, and it was 2016 and a half-ish. Yep. And I, I was searching for this guy, Brent, and up pops this guy, Brent Lilly, who had wrote me to talk about you guys in 2015. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what those guys are up to. And that's when I reached back out to Brent. And I'm like, hey, I'm actually back in the studio full-time. And this is like almost a year later, practically. Yeah, it was like almost a year later. Wow. And I'm like... I accidentally found your email and I remember, you know, talking with you guys, I'd love to meet. And so I think it was like the next day or the day after you guys came to the studio. And it was like one of those, like, did we just become best friends <laughs> moments? Totally. Like we just got on so well. And I loved your guys. And I tell this story a lot. Your guys' humility, including Brent, you and Dan were just like, listen, we've had the success our production's not very good. <laughs> our our songwriting's okay. And I just remember being like, wow, these guys are so like just humble. And like, I remember, you know, digging into your music before you got there and being like, what is this? <laughs> like, yeah. what in the world? I ask myself that every day. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all that to say is the timing of it all was very kind of serendipitous because it was coming off the thing with Amy and then you guys needed a producer and then we got on so well. It's very rare to connect in that way that we have. And yeah, so then we started slogging, I think the next week and the very first song we wrote was- Mansion Party. Mansion Party. I had that, at the time, it all by itself, it was dumb. It was acoustic guitar riff doing the- And it was kind of like, well, I guess we can go from there and, and off we went. But it's been so great now because we work so much together, that having this love of comedy and having a place for it to go now, you know, yeah. to be able to to work that muscle with people consistently is really fun. And you'll find this interesting. I've been meeting with a lot of publishing companies out here in Nashville. My wife actually brought this up, Amy. Not Amy Schumer, by the way. Sorry, I'm not married to Amy Schumer. Yes, different Amy. But my wife works at iHeartRadio in a lot of country. And like she pointed out, these big, fun country songs, they're like a step away from being comedy music. For sure. You know, and a lot of them pretty much are. Like people say, I got a drinking problem. It ain't no problem at all. It's like, dude, what a great line. And it's funny. And so I've been in these meetings and I've brought this up to a couple of publishers and it's like, you know, I've done a lot of this comic. I feel like the country music market is, I, and I tread carefully because I don't want to be like, your music's a joke. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> but it's like, there's elements of the fun country songs that, you know, they're basically comedy songs if you remove the like the marketing. And everyone's like, kind of seems like you might be accurate. It's true. A lot of those country hits, it's that perfect phrase. It's a little bit comedic. It's very wordplay heavy in yeah. parts, right? It's not like punning necessarily, but, you know, like any good lyric, it's like this little bon mot that kind of hits just right, which 
a lot of the times is basically comedy. We were talking on the we were we were writing recently. I've always wanted to write an NSP song. This always sounded like a country song to me, which was it ain't hard being easy when it's easy being hard. <laughs> Dude. I feel like I brought that Golden. up recently. I don't know. Yeah, you did. And I forgot because that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? That's great. You can hear that song already, right? Yeah. You know exactly how it sounds. It's kind of a mid-tempo. It ain't hard being easy <laughs> when it's easy being hard. Kind of. <laughs> Brian, you need to whip out the country singer voice way more often. I have never heard that sound from you. I'm yeah. going to demand it. Okay. Please. Oh my God, that's so good. Yeah. But that's the thing that it's really fun when, Jim, when when you and me and Danny get together is, this is such a trite thing to say, but it really is true. We just crack each other up. And yes. there are so many funny things. Of course, 99% of which we cannot say publicly and can never see the light of day. <laughs> It's always the very best shit. Yeah. Oh, yes. I have thought to myself frequently that all my best comedic work actually happens in group texts of two to three people, and they usually have Jim on them. <laughs> all my A-plus comedy material happens privately for a group of like a couple friends, and then oh. some of it you can actually put out there. That's how it should be. I will go on tears with people and just be like, you know what? That would be a great tweet. Internet doesn't get to have this. No. This is mine. That's right. The internet's become a little bitchy lately. Yeah. <laughs> you think? <laughs> lately. We had a song that we just harassed Danny with for 10 days when we were working <laughs> a couple months ago. I don't know if we'll say it, but Brian has this brilliant song title that's aggressive. I'll say it. It's called Eat Ass, Get Money. Eat Ass, Get Money! <laughs> I really, really, really wanted to write this song. Jim even put a beat together for it. Oh, we have like, the tracks done. Eat, ask, get what? money. Eat, get money. Eat, ask, get money. If you think it's funny. I, there was another yeah. hut we had that we wrote yeah, at the yeah, beach because yeah. Bo- Brian and I would go body surfing every day together, which was totally appropriate. It was really fun. It was yeah. so fun. We had so much fun. That sounds like a fake sentence, truly. Yeah. You two body surfing? <laughs> yeah. We just sit there on the beach and go, hey, here's something funny. And then first thing out of Brian's mouth or my mouth would be like, Danny will hate that. <laughs> yeah, always. Always. He's the gatekeeper of probably a lot of really terrible ideas. But I will say, we had all these terrible ideas, as we do. And then I think at one point toward the end of the week, we're like, you know what? We just need to start a fake band that no one knows who it is. And then yep. we put these out so we don't get crucified. It's like our, our meme rap bullshit. Yes. And just put it out there. Very low production value. Don't overthink anything. I feel like there's a place for that. Never publicly acknowledge or admit we have anything to do with it. Keep our names as far. I mean, obviously, if the song ever comes out, you'll know who did it. But yeah. <laughs> and then there was verse two was eat money, get ass, I think. Yep. Right. And then somebody corrects you. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Like, no, man, it's eat, ask him money. Yeah, and then there was like a E-A-G-M, 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 like a little chant kind of thing. Then there was step one, eat ass. Step two, get money, eat ass. And we did this like children for 10 days. And then be like, hey, Danny, hey, Danny, we have a new song idea. And he'd come out of his room. Yeah, what is it? And we just like, hit play and it's like ask him money and he's just like turn around with no expression and just walk away from us 
I think there's something there. It's, it's too good. That's magic. Thank you. I don't use the word genius very often, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> but it is genius. Yep. That was one of those. Yeah, I think we were body surfing. I think it was at the beach. I remember walking out of the ocean just thinking, eat ass, get money. Oh, is that where it happened? <laughs> or it might have been in the room. I can't remember. I believe it was. And I, I believe you prefaced it with, hey, Jim, you want to get super rich? Yeah. <laughs> I have this song idea. You're going to have to eat a lot of ass if you want to get super rich. Because guess what's going to happen? <laughs> Dude, that's yeah. so good. And there's a myriad of other things that are in that same category of brilliant that'll just never see the light of day, sadly. Never. To me, the big one, I've talked about this before, is I really wanted that acoustic show and album to be called Unbutt Plugged. And yes. it is an actual tragedy that <laughs> it was not. It's teed up. That's right there. I will always think of that album as Unbutt Plugged. Jim, I'm loving the bug pillows behind you. Oh, they're my roach pillows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. got it. Thank you, by the way. My mother bought those for me. <laughs> That's so cute. I should say just mother. Mother bought those. <laughs> mother purchased those for <laughs> me. Mother purchased those for my library. <laughs> Let's move on to segments. Now, Jim, you've heard the show. Our first segment is what, Layden? Do you have anything you'd like to say? Uh, no, nothing. This is your segment. It is and my I know segment. that you take great relish in introducing it. And this has been a very musical episode and you two are close friends. So, you know, who am I to take anything away from you? I think you fully earned this. I mean, I think we earned this together is what I would say, because it's our show and we created this show together. And as I've said many times before, I don't think of segments as my thing or your thing. I think of them as our thing. That's completely fair and generous of you. But I'm just saying, you know, you take so much pleasure in it. I can't deny you that. No, it's true. Is this the eat, ass, get money segment? Yes, that's right. This, this is the segment where we just say the words eat, money, ass, and get in a particular <laughs> order over and over. This segment is called What's Poppin'. So this is our pop culture recommendation segment. Yes. Uh, we get to talk about a pop culture thing we like, book, movie, music, video game, whatever it is. You've heard the show before. Have you heard this segment before, Jim? Do you know? Do you remember? I have, yep. Okay, great. So you've probably heard the theme song before, but mm -hmm. never as a guest on the show. Correct. You've heard it before. I'm very, very proud of this theme song. It is something that I keep refining every week. I add little bells and whistles to it. Very often, as you know, I'm not really acting as a producer, but in this particular case, I am. And so, you know, honestly, the biggest music industry professional we've ever had on the show, I'm very curious to get your take on this. Now, I want to emphasize this is not something you've heard before. This is brand new. It's totally different. The bones are, are still what they were, but the core of it, the ideas in it, are really different than, than what you've heard if you've heard this show before. It synthesizes and extends, and I would say invents new genres of, uh, <laughs> of music. I just walk around the world and like look at it and think, how can I incorporate that into what I want to create? And that's what this What's Poppin' theme song is. So I'm going to play it for you right now. And I want, from a musical standpoint, from a producerial standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, from a humanistic standpoint. I'd like to get your uh, reaction on it. So I'm very excited. That was quite the lead in. You should be. That's actually relatively short as some of these lead ins go. I'm going to play for you 
right now. <laughs> I can't imagine. Here we go and click. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? I can't hear anything. Okay. Well, once again, this, <laughs> this bit has completely failed. <laughs> Am I supposed to hear something? No. Oh, okay. No. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. I get it now. Oh, my God. Brian, I was so fully expecting, like, Jim to be on your side on this one. I set it up very flat. Well, I thought maybe you actually did work on something. So I'm like, okay, I'm actually very curious to hear what's happening. But now that I know... I have some thoughts on it. It's an act of comedy violence I perpetrate against all of our <laughs> guests. It, it is an act of comedy violence. Yeah. Yep, it's not a nice thing to do. Yeah. See, I thought you were actually had turned the page on this. So that's why I was like waiting with bated breath. I was like, oh, well, maybe there's something actually going to be here that I'm going to have to critique. Sadly not. And I'm like looking at Leighton going, are her eyes saying I can't hear it either or I'm waiting for the hammer to drop on Jim. <laughs> well, I also, to be fair, I tried a thing here where when I said click, I went like this, like I was hearing something, like just to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, which I think might not have helped. I keep wanting to refine this. No revision needed. Great. I love exactly how this played out. Boom. That's all I needed to hear. All right, Leighton, what's popping? Okay, what's popping for me is that I've been on a big Paul Verhoeven kick lately. I watched The Fourth Man. I watched RoboCop and Starship Troopers for the first time. None of these are my what's popping. The first time? You've never seen RoboCop before? I know. I know. I know. Okay, so the thing is, is that there are three movies that forever, anytime I say that I haven't seen them, like every single man I've ever met loses their shit at me, which was RoboCop, Blade Runner, and Heat. Heat's my only one left. I love Michael Mann. I'll get to it eventually. Anyway, none of those are my poppin'. I like them. They were all good. My what, What's poppin'? Maybe the best Paul Verhoeven movie, Showgirls. Oh <laughs> he my did God. Showgirls? He, yes, he did. Yes, wow. he did. I watched Showgirls two nights in a row. I think it's a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> I think everyone is wrong. Everyone did that movie dirty. It is art. The fact that everybody can look at its Starship and RoboCop and be like, that's cutting satire. And then look at Showgirls and be like, this is just stupid. It's like, it's the same thing. <laughs> to me, it honestly reads as misogyny to some extent. The movie is about misogyny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. But uh, I feel like people were less open to satire uh, because of what it was. Oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. now I feel like people have kind of turned a corner on this movie. When it came out, absolutely is right. I hear so many people say they love this film now. Yeah. It's like a camp classic and a satire classic. Yeah. I don't even know if it's necessarily camp. That's <laughs> fair enough. I love that when it came out, uh, also that Kyle McLaughlin watching it has been very open about like how much he thinks it sucks. Buddy, it's great. It's so good. Like, guys, people listening, if you haven't given Showgirls a chance, please, just please. It has problematic bisexuals, which are Verhoeven's and my favorite thing. So <laughs> thank you, Paul. It has a great poster, too. Maybe worst poster of all time for me. I love it. With the woman's body as the R, right? It's just one long leg. Yeah, where it's just like neck down to leg. I've never seen it. It's a wild ride. It's just a treat. So the way I had remembered this poster is that she was actually part of the title, but no, it's just above the title. It's sh show leg girls. 
Also, it's one of those movies where every single character is the worst person alive. Uh-huh. And the one character who is actually a good person comes to a horrible fate. But like, I love when people are terrible. That's the best. I want to watch fictional people be absolute shitheads to each other for two hours. Just go outside. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not hard to find in LA. Uh, (laughs) No, not at all. But yeah, so I'm recommending Showgirls. Jim. Okay, so my turn. I've got a few of these actually. So show that I I literally am completely obsessed with lately. Well, two now, actually. Ted Lasso. I know I might be a little late to this. It's so good. Have we not talked about Ted Lasso? I love it. We have not, no. And I think if we had, I hadn't seen it yet. Now I'm like, I've binged it. There's that. Also, I think you should leave uh, on Netflix is quite possibly one of the most brilliant like shows ever created. And I just, it's so uncomfortable and I giggle. It's all the things I think that happen in my brain, but don't actually say out loud. Someone just made a show about it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I can't get enough of it. What's your favorite I think you should leave sketch for you? Oh, easily the haunted house. Oh, dude. So if I just fucking said like, come blast and like, big fat donkey dick. The guy like, sets it up. He's like, so you guys are on the late night tour, which means this is adults only. So we could say whatever we want in the haunted house. And then he, Tim raises his hand. He's like, we could say whatever we want. And the guy's like, whatever you want. He's like, come. Yeah. <laughs> it's so inappropriate. I love the awkward situations. I create them for my family constantly in public. Oh, yeah. And just watch them crumble. It's my favorite thing. And so that show just checks so many boxes for me. In that sketch, I was just watching this yesterday. Okay, so he says all these inappropriate things. The tour guide pulls him aside, says, stop doing this. They come back. And then the tour guide says, does anyone have any questions? And he raises a hand. He goes, now I'm really not trying to say anything that would make anyone uncomfortable and I'm not messing around but do any of these fuckers fuckers ever unleash like a really big cum blast or whatever he said it's the oh my god the way he's like it's the tearful I don't want to make somebody have the worst, the worst day at their day. job. That's what it is, the worst day at their job. It's so funny. And then at the end, when he gets out, he walks out of that house and it's his mom picking him up. Yes. Oh, it's the oh. perfect end to that. It's so good. I love it so much. I think about the driver's ed sketch like every yes. day now, just constantly. I don't know how to drive. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, it's so good. The last one I had that I have to put out there is there is a song called Parked Out by the Lake. Oh, yes. By an artist named Dean Summerwind, D-E-A-N, Summerwind. I'm not going to talk about it any further, but if you're listening to this, run, don't walk, and go to Spotify and look up the song Parked Out by the Lake by Dean Summerwind and just sit back and let it wash over you. Enjoy. It is a game changer. I had a friend texting me on a vacation once I was traveling. Stop what you're doing right now and go listen to this song. And I'm kind of like, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'll get to it. And he keeps texting me. Have you listened? No. Have you listened? No. Dude. And then I finally <laughs> did. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. It took me so long. And then you did that to me. And then you texted it to me with the exact like, drop everything and listen to this now. And then I repeated the (laughs) chain to other people. It is one of the finest pieces of songwriting 
I've ever heard. I listen to it constantly. I really do. My kids yep, know it. So do I. They sing it in the bath. That's all I'm going to say. Run, don't walk. I appreciate that on the comments for the video, one of the top comments is saying that Dan brought them there. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. How about you, Bri? Okay, what's popping for me, more often than not, I recommend uh, smooth jazz on the show. And I'm going to keep that trend alive this week. The album that I am obsessed with, it's by the Rippingtons. Do you know the Rippingtons, Jim? No, I don't. So we talked about them briefly uh, recently on the show because they have a cat as a mascot, an illustrated cat that I really hate. It's very 90s. It's got these like weird sunglasses. Oh, I really dislike it. But these guys are, they're smooth jazz. They're a little bit fusion. It's essentially one guy, a guitarist, Russ Freeman, and then a rotating cast of like unbelievable musicians. And they have this album called Weekend in Monaco. Hmm. which is a great smooth jazz title. I was going to say, it sounds like you would have made that up. I know, right? It's from 1992. It's like super slick production. And it's exactly in that sweet spot of like, is this terrible? And it's great. And like all my favorite smooth jazz stuff, it is awesome and exhibits extremely poor taste in what they chose to do musically. (laughs) the lick the lick it's got everything it's just a really fun album the first track the title track feels like an 80s sitcom theme Uh, i love it i can't get enough of it by the way lord phobos turned me on to this that makes sense he was like dude i can't stop listening to the rippingtons (laughs) you have to go listen to the rippingtons and i was like okay and i'd heard a a couple tracks by the way they're called the rippingtons because they rip and i'm not making that up like, that's why the guy called the band the Rippingtons. Because oh. he was like, we're going to rip. I wish I had thought of that band name. I know, right? <laughs> and this is the ultimate move. All of the albums say the Rippingtons featuring Russ Freeman. Because he's the main dude. Every single album says the Rippingtons featuring Russ Freeman. Oh, what a legend. What a move. I love it. It's so great. And it's so terrible. And it is the music that now lives inside my soul. I will be digging in today. That's great. Weekend in Monaco. Text me when you listen to it because you're going to hear the sax on this and it's just going to blow your mind. It's so great. I love it. All right. Next segment. Next segment. Final segment. It's called Peaches and Lemons. Three-part gratitude exercise and one-part petty grousing and the theme song goes right here. Peaches and Lemons. That was the theme song for Peaches and Lemons. We will each start with one lemon, which is a thing that is a minor bummer, inconvenience, etc., what have you. I have a good one. Yeah, do it. So, friend Vernon and I are big diner enthusiasts over this weekend. There's a certain diner that has been closed. That my history with this diner is that it's not good. It has never been good. But the vibe is great. It's, you know, accessible. Accessible, as we discussed. You, you can pronounce it however you like. But now I'm going to think of that conversation every time that I say accessible or accessible, whatever. Anyway. Et cetera. (laughs) Et cetera. (laughs) I've given it many, many chances. Anyway, all pandemic, we're joking like, 
oh, all the times that I complained about this place, if only we could go back there, our return will be triumphant. Anyway, reopened, went Sunday. So excited. They'd only been open for like five days. And so all the waiters and everybody were like, hey, we're working out some kings. Just really excited that you're here. Always a good sign at a restaurant. Right. We're like, oh yeah, no problem. We're just here to support you. Like we're super thrilled to be here. And we wait like 45 minutes, mm, maybe. That's not a kink. <laughs> then the food comes out. And I've never had food come out where it instantly smelled so bad that I wanted to get. Oh, my God. They put it down, and I ordered three eggs, bacon, and hash browns. Not hard to fuck up. It is not only the worst diner meal I've ever had, it was maybe one of the worst restaurant meals I've had oh in my, my life. Wow. Let me tell you about these fucking hash browns because I am haunted by these for like, <laughs> I cannot stop thinking about it. First of all, order regular bacon. What do I get? Turkey bacon, question mark, with the texture of like a potato chip. Oh, mm. gross. So strike one, eggs, ordered them over medium. They were over hard, completely rubbery, like awful. Hash browns, where do I even begin? They do not look like any hash browns you have ever seen. I could not tell that it was potatoes because it just looked like onion. But it had red peppers, green peppers, onions with potatoes, wet, mm. wet, not <laughs> crispy or brown. Speaking of, I think you should leave, wet, wet mud. <laughs> Cover my body yeah. in wet, wet mud. <laughs> wet, wet hash browns. The whole meal, I was sitting there like, I cannot I have to like really move this around. And they kept coming by like, hey, everything good? And we're like, yes, yes it's great. So yeah, oh, just why bell peppers, hash browns? Why? Why? I should have taken a picture of it. So wait, really quick, Leighton, how do you discern between diners? Because I feel like diners just are a solid C plus across the board. Oh. Wait, is that a shot fired? Well, it is, but also Jarek told us we couldn't talk about diners anymore on this show because we do it so much. Well, guess what? I'm his boss. <laughs> Jarek, I'm kidding. Okay, look, real quick. There's a level of bad that you expect from a diner. That yes. is another world and too expensive and not good bad. That's right. I, I agree with that. A diner should be a C plus for yes. sure. Otherwise, it's too good. It shouldn't be an F. They should all be a C plus. I guess that's the point. Yes, I totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah, because if you go into a diner, you come to expect, you know you're not going to be fucking blown away. You know you're going to get a C plus. And if it's better than that, it's sent from heaven. Then it's just a restaurant. That's right. Then we go into the breakfast spot category. But fuck breakfast spots. I want a diner. Okay, well, then we need to expect a C plus. <laughs> expect a C plus. Just like this show. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Jim, you got anything lemon wise? Very quick one. It's something that's regional. Okay, so you know how if you're trained properly as a driver, at least uh, <laughs> when you're making a yielded left on a green, you pull into the intersection and wait, and then you turn. Well, right. in the South, apparently, you might be able to correct me here, Leighton, they were taught you stay at the limit line. That you stay at the line and you don't get out to the middle. Until you're ready to go. <gasps> it, it is so maddening, it's hard to put into words. So I'm sitting there, it's green, and there's a car like maybe kind of coming, but there's no one after it, and they're just sitting. And I'm like, hey, buddy, like if you don't go, just move forward a bit. We're going to all just miss this whole situation, and then we're going to be here for another five minutes. And I can't tell you how many times I've just done the little the try to be nice beeps, not like yes. the, oh. not the LA beep, yeah. but the like, pop, pop. Hey, I don't know what school you went to for this, but um, where I'm from, you're supposed to go into the intersection, 
and then make your turn. But everybody just likes to just sit at the line and tell us their turn to go. And then oh you're my burning God. seconds. It drives me insane. Every single time that happens is they do it. You sit there, you're like, come on, get out to the middle, get out to the middle, get out to the middle. They finally do it. Light changes. They're the only one in the line of lefts who can go. And then you're stuck sitting there like an asshole. Yes. Every fucking time. That I That's think it. that exact thing has been one of my lemons before like a year and a half ago because it drives me bananas when people do that shit. It should be a punishable crime. Yes. At least a ticket. In LA, the opposite thing of that happens too, which is that you get the cars in the intersection and then somebody like five cars deep in the left turn lane will blast through after <laughs> the light turns red and try to get to that left you know, yeah. and if you got time, that's fine. But most of the time, there's someone trying to turn left who has no business turning left. Absolutely. People here are just so flipping nice and take their time, which is lovely. But just that one thing, I just go like, come on, can we just re-educate the people here? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put on a symposium. I notice you have children. <laughs> they are not. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> <It is, laughs> I had a friend once who described a friend of his who had kids. Uh, and he was like, oh, I guess you really do stop hearing them because this guy was having a conversation and his three-year-old was just screaming at his face and the dude didn't notice. And he was like, oh yeah, I guess my kid was talking. I, I kind of just tune it out. Yeah. <laughs> when you have kids, you just get used to these random shrieks happening yep. all the time. It is 100% true. Didn't even hear it. That's why it's so funny. Yep. That you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, Lemon. Yeah, what's your gripe? Honestly, I got it out of the way before with the file organization thing. I think we should talk about that for another 20 minutes. You know what? That's a great idea. Yeah. And I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> what are your three, let's say, top five favorite file organization systems? <laughs> um, where do I start? Yeah, yeah so that, that's all I have. Great. All right, let's each do three peaches and let's make them nice and reasonably sized so Jarek doesn't die editing this episode. Yeah. Okay, I'll bang out uh, a few of them. Number one is I had jury duty last week and I postponed it for a year because I didn't want to show up to a courthouse <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. And I postponed it until last week. And then I realized the day before I was supposed to go, I was like, well, this was stupid because I'm supposed to travel the next week. And if I get put on a jury, I'm fucked. Yep. So I was concerned. I showed up for one day. It was extremely efficient and professional. I did not get picked and it was just done. I was expecting it to be dragging on and just, you know, like any governmental organization, like, why am I here? This is taking forever. It was great. They could not have been more efficient or like, just gotten down to business, pick the jury, let everybody else go, done. It was a very, very positive experience. That's awesome. Yet I feel like I fulfilled a civic duty at the same time. If I had time, I would love to be on a jury. I think it'd be interesting. But I'm very glad I did not get picked this time. Yeah. Who's got that kind of time? Yeah, exactly. Especially after the judge, one of the first things he said was, what are good reasons to get out of jury service? He was like, one time I had a surgeon in my courtroom who had a major surgery scheduled for two days later. And I wouldn't let him out. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, maybe my, uh, I have a trip scheduled for next week. Isn't really going to fly in this case. Also, that seems terrible, but. That's absurd. It's absurd. Number two, the new Ninja Sex Party album is out today. Hey, yo. Like, I, I love the album. <laughs> and I hope people like it too. It was fun to, you know, obviously Jim produced it and it was me and Danny and Twerp and Jim and it, it was a great time. 
So I hope people enjoy it. And number three, Peach, is now this is not a big deal where you are, Jim, but it is for here. We got a, a fucking thunderstorm here really? earlier this week. Lightning and everything. And Whoa. Audrey, I was walking out of the garage here to go back in the house and it was, and I was like, is that fucking lightning? Audrey, get over here. And she came outside and we just sat under our little porch and watched the lightning Aww. and listened to the thunder. And she got her umbrella and was like doing twirls in the rain. That is awesome. You know, you're raising a kid in California when they're like, oh my fucking God, rain. What? Yeah. <laughs> And she was so excited. And apparently all the kids came into school the next day and they were all talking about how they saw lightning and thunder. And it's, we all grew up. It's not that big a deal, but to a kid out here. Yeah, that's never happens. Was that an OC thing, Jim? Did you get lightning? Probably not that much, right? No, absolutely not. Totally foreign. Yeah, totally foreign. Well, because I remember, Leighton, this is probably a thing when you were a kid. When it started raining, get out of the pool. Get out of the fucking pool. (laughs) You're going to get fried. And I remember being out here at a pool party and it started to drizzle. And I was like, all right, we got to get these kids out of the pool. And all the California parents were like, why? Who invited this guy? <laughs> Someone was like, well, they're already wet, dude. And I was like, no, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. I, fucking, I was like, first of all, dude, how stupid do you think I am? Like, do you think that was my concern that they're going to get more wet? But yeah, I was just like, if it's raining, there might be lightning. Get him out of the pool. And then someone's like, yeah, that doesn't happen here. Yeah, but I got to say, if you care little for your own personal health and safety, being in a pool when it, there's a thunderstorm going on is pretty tight. It's great. I imagine it's a great experience. Don't do it, folks at home. Yeah, don't do it. But I have so many memories of you're in the pool, like at a pool party or whatever, and you feel a drop of rain and some parent comes out and they're like, get out! pool. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, those are my peaches. Uh, I have three quick boys. Yeah, do it. My first one is that I was walking my dog who is a chihuahua and I ran into some other people who had a chihuahua and their chihuahua was 15, maybe 15 oh years God. old, wow. smaller than maybe her name was Bambi and she had a permanent little blep and they let me hold Bambi and she was just like a little rat right here. And it was the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And then I came back later and like they were sitting at a table in front of a cafe and like they just had a little seat for Bambi. Oh my gosh. This geriatric chihuahua just sitting on her own little chair. <laughs> uh, my second one is that as part of I'm going to be VJing at a show called The Witching Hour. It's October 27th. Tickets, witchinghourlive.com. Los Angeles, the Regent Theater, come to it. I was trying to find like free VJ loops to incorporate into my like horror movie clips. And I was looking at it and I was like, surely I can do this. This is just like shaders in Blender. Thus, I downloaded Blender and I've been making 3D models like a motherfucker. And it is super fun. That's awesome. And it's the best. And 3D art turns out for cowards and is easy. That's not true. I've been screaming at my computer all weekend. <laughs> like, if you think about it, all art is 3D, right? Because, yeah. like, the world what? is. Shit. Yeah, dude. I'll text you about it later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my last peach is actually peaches and lemons related, which Ooh. is that we now have. Oh. I pray that what I'm about to say is accurate to when this episode comes out. We now have for sale a peaches and lemons enamel pin set. It's two halves of a heart. One is a peach and one is a lemon and they're super sexy and cute and you could give one to a friend or you keep them both for yourself. 
They're real drippy. Oh, yeah, they're drippy. Is that like a thing I don't know about? There's just a little, a little drop hanging off. Oh, oh, I thought drippy was like a new, like, cool kid way of saying, like, really great. Oh, it is. You know, dude, this drips. Bro, it's drippy. This pin drips, man. Pin's so drippy, bro. <laughs> Check it out. Oh, no way. Those are awesome. And then they fit together like that. And they were designed by? Oh, that's me. I did oh. that. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So about merch.latenight.com. Purchase as a set. Do it like best friends necklaces, but give the lemon to someone you fucking hate. Get them. <laughs> Those are my peaches. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Jim, Jim, what do you got? First peach. I saw the Stones this week for the first time <gasps> in my life. Oh, my God. How was it? Whoa. It was amazing. I literally have, you know, way less friends in Tennessee now that I don't live in Los Angeles. And so I texted a few of my buddies. Hey, you want to go to see the Stones? And Amy, my wife, would be the uh, plus one. But finding babysitters is complicated, as you know. Yeah. Oh. So anyway, I was like, I'm going to go. Even if I have to go alone, I'm going to go. And so nobody could go. So I'm like, I'm going to go alone. And then I'm like, wait a second. My daughter, who's almost 10, is a huge music nerd and has been to 20 plus concerts at her young oh, 10. that's great. So she's like a concert road dog. And so I'm like, wait, Kennedy, do you want to go to the Rolling Stones show tonight? And she's like, yeah, totally. And I was like, all right. So I bought two not very inexpensive tickets. Yeah. Got some good seats and saw the Stones. And it was as awesome as I would have hoped and to double cherry on the story is watching her jump up and down and sing along to You Can't Always Get What You Want. <laughs> and I'm like, man, this is cool. Like, this is a moment for both of us. Yeah. And all these people are like, how old are you? She's like, I'm nine. They're like, you're at a Stones show. That's amazing. You know, <laughs> but we had a great time together. But of course, we only made it an hour and 15 minutes because she's like, honey, I'm so tired. She charged for an hour and then just dropped. And I'm like, all right, that's all I needed. I need an hour. And then we left. I can't believe those guys can last more than an hour. I mean, they're like mid to late 70s now or something. Yeah, well, one's dead. Right. Yeah, but I didn't know that Mick Jagger is almost 80. He's 78. Yeah, it's insane. And he was running around stage like a 25-year-old. It was spectacular. Unreal. It was. It was so much fun. I got some great footage of Kennedy dancing and stuff. So very great. Second Peach, I'm a recent transplant to Nashville. And I just love the city. It is so much fun. It's a great place. It is so much fun. Perfect amount for me. I need space. I need a lot of like, I need nature, but I also yeah. love being in cities and urban areas and culture and bars. I love that too. So it's like, this place is the perfect match for me. Cause it's like, I live on an acre. I've got land. I've got a good size house and I can drive 10 minutes and be downtown at my studio and I can walk to these dive bars. And I'm in this area called Wedgwood, Houston, which is like, I didn't know this when I got the studio, but it's like the cool spot. It's like the Silver Lake here. And only recently, it used to be don't go where you'll get, you know, mugged. But now it's like this up and coming area and it is super cool. It's really, really great. So I'm loving it here. That's my second peach. My third peach, since it's released, they have a level up is that it's the release day of Level Up. That's a big deal. Hell yeah. We spent a lot of time on that record. And so it's awesome that today's the day that it's out. And I hope everybody receives it as well as how much love we put into it, you know? Yeah, I think they will. I think people are going to be very excited about it. Yeah, and the artwork's great. Everything you guys put together is just freaking great. So it's just fun to be a part of it. And since this is the day, that's my third page. I love it. Hell yeah. yeah. Well, big congrats to both of you. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and Jim, thank you for taking so much of your time to be on with us. Oh, so fun. I love spending time with you, and it is so much fun to do it, not just on a work context, but also here too. So yeah. thank you for being here. Thank you guys for having me. And it's great to finally meet you after hearing about you forever. <laughs> I know, I know. I feel like I know you. In the studio, Jerk would come into work or do edits and stuff, and I'd be like, oh, how's this podcast? Oh, good. You know, so I feel like I know the whole operation, but it's good to finally be on. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jim, is there anything else you want to plug or point towards or? No, just go check out the new record and, um, oh, and don't forget to listen to Parked Up by the Lake. Right. Yes. Amazing. All right. Everybody at home, thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of Late in Night. And, you know, at the end of the show, there are a lot of different things that I say as catchphrases sometimes, but I think this time I would like both of you to join me in saying the catchphrase that we do every single episode. Should we count it down? Yeah, but are we on the same page about what we're going to say? I know what I'm going to say. I need a refresher. It's a thing, Jim, that we discussed earlier. Yeah. Got it. Okay, I'm on board. Okay. Okay, I'll build up to it and I'll point to you guys when we're ready. Okay, everybody at home, thank you so much for joining us. Take care of yourselves. Stay flirty, fun, and fresh. And as we always say every single episode on Late Night, eat Eat ass, Eat ass, get, get money. money. <laughs> and my kids are standing right outside the door. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the episode, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>